2: Welcome to Hello Somebody, a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia, where we rage against the machine, where we raise our voices against injustice and stand up for justice, where we embrace hope and joy with an optimism for a brighter, more just future. Each week, I'll be dropping knowledge, whether it's a solo episode from me or a hearty discussion with esteemed guests doing great things in spaces and places of politics, entertainment, social justice, and beyond. We get real, baby. I mean, really real. We get honest. We get up close and personal for you. Yes, you. Because everybody is somebody. Before we begin, I want to give a special shout out to my team. Thank you, Sim. Tiffany, Sam, and the team over at Good Juju Studios, Erica England, Pepper Chambers, the hot one, and my social media team. Hello, somebody. This is yours truly, Nina Turner, and I am so happy that we are together again. I am excited about today's show, but my excitement is based on who my guest is. And not necessarily what we are going to be talking about, because to be quite honest, I am miffed. I am peeved. I don't know. I just like that word. I am peeved about this topic because it just makes no sense that in the United States of America, the wealthiest nation on the face of the earth, we still got to play games about whether or not we should fund college education, In the same way that we fund a K through 12 education, maybe not in the same way because we need to do some work. We need a total paradigm shift. Pre-K to college should be the minimum, the minimum. People should not have to go broke or still be paying off college debt well into their 60s and sometimes your 70s, depending on what type of job you get after college and also depending on what life throws at you. Because as we know, life can be complicated for many people. It is never, ever a straight line for most of us. Hello, somebody. With so many students getting settled into college courses and facing their bright and full futures. I, I just think how important it is that we discuss how we as a country can protect their dreams of not being held down by college debt. I mean, college debt is a mother and I should know I still I'm still holding on to a lot of college debt. Did you know that student loan debt in 2020 was about $1.5 trillion? You know, we got to do better. Um, and there are some estimates as high as almost $2 trillion. We got to do better. We got to care uh, not just about our younger people who are trying to change the trajectory of their lives by going to colleges and universities, but the millions of people who have already accumulated a lot of student debt. Hello, somebody. I'm one of those people. And they have that debt for the crime of trying to go to college or going to college, not just trying and uh, trying to uh, make their lives better. We can do better and we must do better. And just the lifelong weight that we put on people who have decided to go to college and especially this generation of students, because the cost of college continues to increase and it is pricing certain people out of the ability to even go. I can't tell you how many folks I've talked to, both young people and young adjacent people who just decided that college is not in their future because they cannot afford it. That should absolutely not be the case in the United States of America. So we are going to have this conversation about college for all, the impact of college debt. We are going to talk about HBCUs in particular, Historically black colleges and universities in particular, but from a global perspective, the impact of that college debt and what can be done. Now, you all know on Hello Somebody Baby, we talk that talk. We go deep and we start to unpeel, pull back the layers and the levers. And we just have that talk, you know, just, we just going to have that talk today. And it is going to be about college for all. All right. I have a quote. You know, I want to, I feel an ancestor coming on. I feel an ancestor. And President Nelson Mandela once said, education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. Hello, somebody on that. And do I have just the perfect person to join us in this conversation? The one and only Erica England, and Erica and I have been together for a very long time. She is one of my mentees. She is extraordinary in every single way. And she is a senior at the Howard University in Washington, D.C. And Howard University is, just in case there may be somebody who's listening who might not know, and it's okay if you didn't know this, Howard University is a historically black college. Hello, some. Body. I am so excited again to have Erica here, but peeved about the topic because we can do better in the United States of America and we must do better in the United States of America. And we are going to center the quote from the one and only President Nelson Mandela Education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. And there are many ways to get education, and we're going to delve into that. Erica, how are you today, darling?
3: How are you? I'm glad to be here. Oh
2: my God, I'm so glad you're here with me. You know, I'm a little bit under the weather, kind of in recovery mode. So if I sound kind of nasally, it is because I am just getting over a very severe cold. But other than that, the sun is shining and I am in a moment of gratitude because it could be so much worse. How about you?
3: Same here. I um, It's sunshine where I am as well. It's beautiful outside. It's been beautiful like the past couple of days. So I'm grateful for that.
2: Yeah, me too. It has been beautiful here and in the the center of the universe. I got to take something from my dear friend, Alicia Garza, who calls her home the center of the known universe. So everybody has their different center of the known universe. I'm chuckling because I just uh, interview with her on her podcast. And uh, I encourage people to check out her podcast. It's titled Lady Don't Take No. Y'all gonna fill in that blank with Alicia Garza. So you can get her podcast wherever you get podcasts. But she always talks about her home, her hometown being the center of the known universe. So I'm shouting her out right now. So Erica, okay, so let's let's get into this. Let's talk about you know, college uh, for all, and also your experience right now at Howard University. And I know that when you and I first met, you were at Howard University. You came and joined me at Our Revolution as an intern at the time, and you were working on that degree. And here we are, what, has it been four years later?
3: I think it has been four years later, four
2: years later. Yeah. Still working on that degree, which is fine. I think the traditional notion that people are going to go in and come out in exactly four years, maybe for a certain type of student that fits, but for most people it doesn't fit unless you're traditional. And I put that in air quotes that um, our listeners cannot see, but it does not work for most people, especially if you have a job, it will take you longer than four years to get your degree. And I think that is, is outdated measure anyway. You know, people come out when they come out now, if 10 years later, you're still working on an associate's or a bachelor's, then, you know, maybe people going to look at you sideways. But other than that, they do. you know, you kind of, you know, do what you do. As long as you are pursuing that degree is that's the most important thing. So we need some shifts on a whole bunch of stuff um, that we do or that, how we measure success in, in this country. So Howard University, tell us, share with us about your experience. I know that in past conversations you have shared that, but for the cost, uh, you probably would have been done a lot sooner. You have had to take some breaks along the way because uh, college is just not affordable. And you are not alone in, in that. You know, that was certainly the case uh, for me. And I want you to share your story. And I'm going to share a little bit about my story as well. So let's talk about your experience, uh, both, you know, good and bad. Because, again, you are a student at Howard University. and Historically, that means so much to be at an institution that has such historic importance. But right now, there's a lot going on. There was um, a ransomware attack right against the university and that has caused a lot of uh, chaos for both the institution itself and also the students that attend the institution so let's start off with the with the challenges and uh, because I want to kind of end on uh, what's beautiful about being at a HBCU
3: yes so Howard was my dream school it still is my dream school I love Howard University I knew um, very well on, early on, that I wanted to go to Howard. I had a very, very special and dear teacher um, in high school who I still keep in contact with. Um, His name is Coach Walker, and he was just like that beacon of Black, African-American history. He taught an African-American history class in my high school. And he really, really encouraged me to go to an HBCU. So I started doing my research and Howard was it for me. Like that's where I wanted to go. Um, I was one of those students who, you know, maybe was non-traditional in the fact that I had to leave Howard for a while, a long while. And a lot of that was due to finances. I started at Howard as a freshman years ago when I first got to Howard. The dorm that I had signed up to stay in was an all girls, freshman dorm on campus. I got to campus. They told me, I'm sorry, we don't have any room for you. You're going to have to go to a different dorm. And they sent me to another dorm, which was off campus, upperclassmen. And much to my father's dismay, it was co
2: Coed. Oh, no.
3: Daddy <laughs> like, oh, no. He was not. He was not happy on uh, move-in day. He was not happy. And you know, my dad. I, I imitate his accent sometimes. But like, he's looking around at um the guys that are moving in. He's like, "Why are they here? <laughs> are, are they helping you guys move in? Why are they here?" I said, "No, daddy. They're moving in too." He said, "For why? What? Well, why are they here?" I said, "They they need a, they need somewhere to live too, daddy." <laughs> he said, I thought it was all girls. <laughs> I said, no, it's not an all girls dorm. It's co-ed. What was coed? What why? <laughs> he said, nope, you can't stay here. You can't stay here. We have to leave. Nope, you're not staying here. I'm like, Daddy, this is literally all I have. <laughs> this is literally all I have. If I don't grab one of these rooms here, I don't have I don't have anywhere to live. So I have to take this. Like the the housing option that I wanted wasn't available to me. So I Wait, Dad. Let's
2: not leave. that. Dad, Daddy was like, "This, this, this ain't working for me. This, this dad, don't work. They, they he... must be the help. They helping y'all, right? They not really living here. Exactly. <laughs> Spoken like a traditional dad. You may not have been a traditional student, but Dad was definitely traditional in that. Why are they here? I love yes. It. Why? Are they... I love it. And and your dad. Talk about your dad just a little bit since we're on Dad. Your dad is is from.
3: My dad is from Sierra Leone. The reason he was even able to come from Sierra Leone to the United States um, was for an education lottery. My dad was very, very smart, and they used education as a way to better themselves. So some students would go to, like, you know, different parts of the world, but they sent him to the United States on an education lottery. Um, So in our household, education was always very important. It was, you know, traditional West African father, if I got a 98, he said, where are the other two points? <laughs> where, where are the other two points? Did anybody else get 100? Did you get the highest score? I'm like, no, I didn't get the highest, but I got an A. He said, I want the other two points. You should want the other two points. Hello.
2: Love it. That sounds like your dad and my grandmother went to the same school. <laughs> yes, it, it did. Oh, man. So to hear you talk about your dad in that way is certainly Reminds me of our the opening quote for the show, which came from President Nelson Mandela. Education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. And certainly your dad felt that way. And he uh, he poured that into you as
3: well. Yeah, he did. And my mother as well. Like I growing up, I didn't really have any other black students in my class until I think I was maybe in the sixth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, something like that. And I think my mother saw that and she just started pushing you know, books at me. Like here, read this, read this, read this. We'd go to the library and I'd come home with like 14 different books. And the library um, near my house where I grew up, um, they would have the little tabs on it. It was like a, a red, black and um, yellow tab and it said African-American on it. And it was an indicator that the book was about African American history or that the author was a was a black author. So I always have a lot of those books in the hall that I brought from the library.
2: Yeah, that's beautiful. We definitely you know, James Baldwin, the great novelist of the twentieth century. One said, know from whence you came. If you know from whence you came, there's virtually nowhere that you cannot go. And you're very blessed to have been able to go to a library. A lot of these Z's don't even know what a library is. But I digress. Libraries will be in museums, you know, about 20 more years from now. But it is something beautiful about being able to go to a physical structure. And take in that structure and that entire building is dedicated to, to books is where books live. And it is where for many of us, our curiosity is peaked. is the opportunity to travel to places, at least mentally, that you may not always be able to go to physically and also connect with the past, the present and uh, in some ways the the future so to hear somebody of your youth uh, share library experiences is a beautiful thing and you know you just made me remember that my grandmother who was born in 1915 and, and grandma this grandma I talk about all the time all people who've ever heard any of my speeches know the three bones a uh, story that my grandmother uh, I have uh, you know made a universal story and I, I certainly wish that she was here to to know how famous and beloved this story is. But you talking about the little tabs just made me remember when my grandmother had purchased uh, my siblings and I a set of Britannica encyclopedias. And so, you know, I'm a Gen Xer. So for people of a certain, you know, youth, because I'm youth adjacent, let's just let the record reflect. But of a certain youth, they might say, what the hell is a Britannica encyclopedia, you know? But it was a search engine, you know? It was Google before Google. And although my grandmother could not, you know, read or write, she definitely understood the power of education like so many African-Americans of her generation, which was embedded in her from the generation previous and, and, you know, going all the way back because African-Americans, again, in this country, it was at at a time, illegal to teach, you know, and we think about de facto and de jure, what happens in reality and what happens in law, but it was a a transgression of this country that could certainly cause you to be killed, uh, to lose limbs, uh, if in fact uh, one was found even trying to help uh, African Americans learn how to uh, read and 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 right and so when I think about my grandmother buying those encyclopedias although she was not highly educated herself at least in from a school perspective because she had what we call mother wit a very very intelligent woman she did know it was vitally important as your dad did for you and your siblings that uh, getting an education in many ways sets you free uh, mind, body, and spirit. It does provide an opportunity. It's a gateway to to a better life. But those encyclopedias, I, I I remember laying in her hallway on my on my belly with my feet up, you know, just thumbing through the encyclopedia, daydreaming, just dreaming about you know what I could be, what I wanted to be, and that is vitally you know important. I don't think my grandmother could ever fathom how expensive colleges and universities are, and how Basically, a lot of people are really priced out of attending colleges and universities, and particularly universities. And if you do decide to attend, you are going to be anchored by the debt that you can carry for a very long time, depending on what type of job that you get. So let's talk about uh, what happened along the way and share your experience with uh, college not being affordable.
3: So, yes, um... I had to leave um, after my freshman year. I was one of those students that has—it's taken me a long time to graduate, um, and a lot of that was because of finances. I left after my freshman year. I, you know, I started working. I went back home. I started working um, to save money, and I don't think I fully grasped how much money I would have to save, how many hours I'd have to work to even afford a semester at Howard. And eventually I saved up money, enough money to like, you know, pay off pay off um, school debt um, that I had with Howard and, and re-enroll myself. But I had, you know, I had to come back up to the DC area. I'm from North Carolina. And first find housing. At the time, before I, right before I re-enrolled, I was looking for housing. And, you know, I don't, talk about this with a lot of people but there was a you know a point in time where i didn't have housing like at all i came back to the dc area my parents don't know this but um there was you know points when i was like you know either sleeping on a friend's couch or you know sleeping in my car because i couldn't afford housing yet if when i um found a job in the area and had saved up a little money i put some money down on an apartment because I also wanted to still have money for tuition. And it's the reality for a lot of students that you can't pay both tuition and pay for housing. It's got to be one or the other. Sure. And I, you know, and I didn't, and I, I had this goal, I had this dream and I did not want to tell my parents because they would have told me to bring my behind home. They were like, no, you don't need to be doing that. You just need to come home. But I knew that I wanted to be at Howard. I knew that I wanted to finish at Howard because I'd started there. And I wanted to start and finish in the same place. I had to finish what I started. Yeah,
2: and that's just so crushing. And I'm sure that there are millions of students who can relate to your story. And, I know uh, there
3: there there are students now, like since I've been back at Howard, um, especially because of COVID just really made issues that students had 10 times worse. So, I mean, I've come in contact with students, you know, right now that are dealing with some of the same things that I was dealing with back then. Myself and another student have been working on finding housing for students. Howard is suffering a, um, a housing crisis. Some of it due to, you know, like financial issues in the past, but some of it, I think due to maybe some mismanagement at howard um we have a lot of dorms that have closed at howard um they've leased the land off and i think added to the gentrification that's already going on in dc and it's priced students out as well like howard students have also been you know priced out of housing in the dc area some students have you know reported having to commute an hour to get to campus because we're, you know, back in person, many people have classes that are, you know, virtual, but also in person. And it's it's difficult to even get to the campus because of, of cost.
2: I mean, that just pains me greatly. And, you know, you would think that the administration, along with the larger community, would work to make sure that they lessen that type of impact on the students at such a great institution and the reason by which howard exists is to make sure that black students could get you know higher education as with uh, all hbcus because black people were locked out of uh, other institutions and so there's there's a deeper type of pride when you attend a historically black college and universities and many of those institutions are suffering across the country which is problematic you know, in and of itself. There are two here in, in Ohio. One is Central State. The other is Wilberforce University. Wilberforce is the private HBCU and Central State is the uh, public HBCU. I mean, from where I stand and sit, uh, HBCUs, whether they're public or private, deserve uh, to have uh, the requisite and deep investments uh, from the federal and state governments because of the of, of what those you know the significance of those institutions, but it's uh, it's, it's it's really gut wrench because something can be done about that, Erica. I mean, as I listen to you, I just a whole bunch of ideas have come to mind that DC itself, you know, the the, the government of DC and Howard University itself, and also the faith based community and the civic based community and the corporate community can come together to make sure that that does not happen and. And that uh, students are not gentrified out of being able to afford housing. And, you know, uh, gentrification is really a bad thing for poorer communities and especially black communities when the whole character is changed and people are just priced out. The people who were originally there just priced out of being able to, to live there. And Howard is certainly in a prime real estate area for D.C. right now. And when people only see the dollar signs and they don't see the impact of gentrification, these types of problems that you are laying out. And so I want people to understand there's real flesh and blood behind what Erica is saying today. This is not uh, something that is abstract. This is this is shown enough real to use one of my grandmother's words and and something should be done about that. And I really appreciate, Erica, you you know sharing your story and again many many students who go away to college experience what you experience and don't necessarily tell their parents and it took a lot of courage for you just to stay there and try to find a way to to make it work and here you are still at howard even though you have endured a lot and you're still enduring a lot and you're right there you're right there how many classes away from actually being able to graduate
4: with the One Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N.
1: AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that 3-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.
3: After this semester, I'm one semester away, and I'm done. Yeah. I've been receiving um, the the pre-clearance emails for graduation, which they only send to people that are like almost out the door, and it's been like a relief, you know, to see those to see those come in my inbox because i I've, I've fought and worked really hard to get here, and I don't think people realize, you know, the path and the struggles of like students today because um, you're not going to realize it if you're not a student
2: or the parent or the guardian of a student
3: right yeah. but like i've i've talked to students that have you know talked about like oh i was working three jobs during the summer so i could afford tuition but also because of covid i was having to like help my parents you know pay bills like one of my sure. parents is on unemployment or one of my parents um you know lost their job you know due to covid and so it's like they're not paying just for themselves. They're paying for their family as well. I mean, even my dad, back when he was in college, he was working um, to put himself through school. He was working two jobs, um, but back then he was able to work two jobs and afford an apartment. That's really not the case now. I don't know many students at Howard that don't have a part-time job or don't have some source of income outside of their refund checks from um, tuition, and it's It's always, I always mention this to students that I come in contact with. I've never had a refund check. My expenses for Howard were so much that I was never able to receive a refund check for the money I had for school. So I've always worked while I was in school.
2: Even with all that you're sharing right now, I worked my way through college too, because, you know, I come from a working poor family. I'm a first generation college graduate. You're fortunate that Your second uh, generation because of your your parents, but you're still struggling, even though your parents graduated from college. It takes a lot, you know, um, income and and, uh, wealth disparities in this country are definitely attached to race. And that, that could be another topic for another show. But I can definitely relate to what you're saying, Erica. The difference is that because of my family situation, I did not go away to college. And Howard was actually my dream school. I don't know if I ever shared that with you, but Howard was at the top of my list in terms of a uh, the university that I wanted to attend. But because of life circumstances, I could not leave. You know, my mother had died very young at the age of 42. And and people who listen to this show often know that I, I talk about that uh, a lot because people's lived experience shape who you are today, who you might become uh, tomorrow. It is very much a part of us and all of us have a story to tell. So I ended up staying in Cleveland and every, all of my, you know, from my public school education to going to a community college first, Cuyahoga Community College, then matriculating to the Cleveland State University. It was all local because I couldn't go away being the oldest of seven children and having those kind of life complications. But I would have loved to have been able to go uh, to Howard. And we know that the cost of education continues to rise and it is pretty much almost out of reach for your generation, for millennials, it was a little more affordable for Gen Xers, but not much.
3: Yeah, my father, he was able to put himself through school, you know, with his scholarships, and you know, in the two jobs he worked, he was able to pay for both tuition and for his apartment. That's not the case for students today. Like it's it's not the case where, oh, I can work a part-time job as a student or even work a full-time job as a student and pay for both tuition and housing. That's not the case anymore. Right.
2: And you still have to study too. Yeah, I you mean if you still have
3: to study. Right. And it's you... either one or the other. And that's the that's the issue that a lot of students are facing. Like, do I wanna have housing or do I wanna have education? Because it can't be both. That in and of itself
2: is a shame because we're programmed in this country. Go to college, go to college, go to college, get a higher education, you get a higher education, your life is miraculously going to change. Uh, In some ways, it doesn't change miraculously, but there is a connection between, especially in the 21st century, you got to be highly skilled, highly educated. The global economy demands it. So you have to go to college or go to trade or technical education. You have to have something because you got to compete, However, at the same time that you're doing what you are told to do, that, you know, the, you know, taking in the burden of going to school at the same time, there is no guarantee because once you graduate, you got a degree in one hand and debt in the other. And depending again, what you studied, it may take you almost an entire lifetime to be able to pay off that debt for the crime air quotes of going to college to enhance yourself, your community and your family. So I get it. You know, my son is a second generation, just like you are. And there are studies that show that if a parent goes to college or parents go to college or university, increase the likelihood that your children and their children and children, children. So we're breaking, you know, for especially for poorer communities. An African-American community, from a historical perspective, we're breaking cycles. You know, I often refer to myself as a cycle breaker. So I get it, Eric. And it, it should not be that way. I mean, the stories that you are sharing should not be the reality where any college student, whether black, white, Hispanic, you know, Asian, uh, swirls in between, however people identify, that should not be the reality. In a country that pushes college education so heavily and at the same time can be so indifferent and cavalier to the fact that the cost of education is really pricing certain people out. And then that's where we're going, we have the class divide because if you have to be of a certain class to be able to afford college, then we are creating a permanent underclass of which the African American community knows a lot about. So, oh, my God, Erica, we we could stay on this topic for days and we're going to revisit this. this. Let's call this College for All part one.
3: Yeah, we need we, to. We can also talk about how black women hold the most college debt. Yeah, and Howard, is, Howard is mostly black women. There's a larger percentage of black women at Howard and many other HBCUs. I don't think it's just Howard. Um, yes. it's, it's mostly black women or there's a bigger majority of black women at these HBCUs and in college in general. Yeah, well let's
2: let's let's go ahead and rest right there. You know, according to a new report from the American Association of University Women, black women carry about 20% more student debt than white women do, and researchers estimate that one year after graduation, white women owe about $33,000 and some change in undergraduate loans on and black women owe on average about 41 thousand dollars and some change and then among those with graduate school debt white women are estimated to owe about fifty six thousand dollars on average while black women owe closer to seventy five thousand dollars on average and so if people want to that's the American Association of University Women for people who want to go deeper so already once you cross the stage Now, you're doing this to better yourself, to enhance yourself, to be marketable, to lift yourself up. Yet you're rewarded, air quotes, with a whole bunch of damn debt that you may or may not ever uh, be able to pay off. And it impacts your quality of life
3: for your entire life. Those numbers are insane. I know Howard is about forty six thousand dollars a year.
2: My God, it, it definitely should not be that way. And we can do something about it. And that is why I support College for All. Erica, I know you support College for All. It is a really big deal. Uh, we were on a presidential campaign together where Senator Bernard Sanders supports College for All, was yelling at from the rafters along with myself and so many other leaders, both activist type leaders and leaders with special titles.
3: And he also was the first, um, he was the first um, campaign to actually establish like an HBCU, like organizing, an HBCU organizing project as well. That's right. You
2: were were very much a part of helping uh, to lead that on our 2020 campaign.
3: Uh, let's talk a little bit. Can we share a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so um, I I helped with, you know, organizing other students at HBCU campuses, um, organized around his presidency. Um, also, um, another person on the campaign, a shout out to Delaney Vandergrift. Um, yes, Delaney.
2: Yes.
3: Shout out to Delaney. She led the charge on Senator, um, Senator Sanders um, campaign. And it's still continuing to do that work as well around organizing, um, you know, Black youth and uh, students. It, it's funny because whenever they talk about like how, you know, Black people vote, I notice a difference in the generations. Whenever they talk about like our, our tendencies are favoring one candidate or another, I notice a difference when it comes to like the generation that you're talking about. Because I think, One thing that I love about this, this new generation coming up, they they see things as how they could be and not how they have been. And they're less likely to accept what has been.
2: Amen to that, baby. And I'm right there. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm rocking with the Gen Xers, but I I am that type of visionary, too. And so was Senator Sanders. Seeing things as they could and should be. And that's what you need in leaders. So we need to dispense with the foolishness. College and universities, there was a point in time where they were virtually free. And in areas like New York and also in in California, it was virtually free. And it can be that way again. And we know, you know, people say, well, s what you talking about free? Nothing is free. You're absolutely right. It's not free. So let's just go on and break this down, that we should have a social contract in the United States of America in the same way that we, we, through tax dollars, pay for K through 12 education. And we need to do a better job of that. We can do the same thing, expand that and make it for pre-K to college and or technical training vocal educational ed, that can be done. And that's a social contract. It is an investment, you know, in uh, the people of this country and it should be done it can be done uh, we're spending a whole lot of money on the military industrial complex we got a whole bunch of less than one percenters who are not paying any money in federal taxes let's go ahead and tax the wealthy let's take some of that military industrial complex money and put it on the education side of the ledger and we can do those things and let's absolutely have a special unique carve out for historically black colleges and universities whether they are public or private in these united states of america eric i I believe and know that we can do those kinds of things. And so as we wrap up part one and we, I promise you all, we are going to dig into this a little more and let's just go ahead and have a part two about college for all Erica in our, in our remaining moments together, what are three things and you can frame it any way you want. You don't have to take my frame uh, that you would want people to know and to understand and maybe even do. Uh, in, in understanding uh, the impacts and the the unique struggles of uh, being a college student in the 21st century and especially in the face of COVID?
3: I would say three things that are unique to students now is that many of us are working and working all kinds of odd hours. I think it used to be that that was an option, um, but now it's not. It's not really an option anymore. Unless you come from a family with means, nine times out of 10, you're a student with with a job. I would say the second thing is we have got to do something about housing students. There shouldn't be a reason that you're enrolled full-time or part-time as a student at a university and you're sleeping in your car. That's right. And that's the case for, I, I've come across students that that's their reality right now. You know, we're working to, to help them and shout out to some of the alumni at Howard that have been doing the work to house students at Howard that need it. And I would say the third thing is that even if we cancel student debt, which I, I pray to God that we do, what happens after that? What about tuition itself? How are we gonna regulate tuition itself? So that it can be more attainable for more people, especially for black students.
2: You bring up a really good point that the entire student loan, student debt universe needs to be reimagined because it's one thing to cancel student debt. I think there's about one point seven trillion dollars worth of that debt. But what how is the system itself going to change? Period. So that people are not accumulating uh, that debt to begin with because you can cancel student debt right now. But unless you change the system, there's going to be another set of student debt uh, coming up. And I totally agree with you. And The federal government can regulate that and do that a better way and not allow uh, these private uh, banks and other financial institutions to uh, charge students what they're charging them. And and the Fed set the interest rate uh, for student loans. So we can't absolutely do a new thing in the United States of America. So you all have heard it here from the scholar herself, Erica England, sharing a portion of her journey, which I'm sure so many folks can relate to. I can relate to uh, in, in, in many ways as well. She said that she wanted to make sure that we all realize that students have to work and many students have to work two and three jobs just to make ends meet. That sometimes they have to choose between being able to continue to go to school or having a roof over their head. Um, The second uh, issue that she brought up was was housing, that students should be able to be housed. And she's using her experience at Howard University to illustrate that gentrification is having a severe negative impact on students because they're being priced out of even being living, uh, being able to live around this historic uh, university. And we have to do something about that. That does not have to be the reality in the United States of America. And third, that the entire system itself needs to be reimagined so that future generations don't bump up against this and we find ourselves right back where we started from, from which does not work for anybody. So Erica, you are absolutely extraordinary in every single way. And you know how much I love you. Uh, I want to end the way that we started with the great president, Nelson Mandela, who once said education is the most powerful weapon, which you can use to change the world. Let's get to changing the world. And one way we can do that is to change the way Higher education is financed in the United States of America. Create an environment where we have pre-K to college, to tech school, to voc ed, because not everybody wants to go to a traditional college or university, and that is a beautiful thing too. Let's make that requisite investment. Let's cancel student debt, which the president of the United States of America can do right now. The president before him could have done the same thing. The president before that president could have done the same thing, and the president before that, and so on and so forth. The Department of Education, using that power, the president can wipe out student debt right now, and the United and the United States of America has the authority to do a new thing and rethinking how we finance and fund education along with working with the states. Education is indeed the most powerful weapon which we can use to change the world. I agree with President Nelson Mandela wholeheartedly. I know that Erica agrees with him as well. So let's get to changing the world, starting with college for all. Coming, the pain is numbing. Try to shoot for the stars if you're gonna aim for something. Embrace the love for your brother and sister. Unity's the missing brush. We need to puzzle this picture. Let's paint it up, frame it up for the world to see. Hang the hatred up. Enough is enough, is enough. Making changes on us. N. Turner, her voice is the truth, her wise words inspire the youth to keep their eyes on the roof, it's the end, never give up, keep conquering goals, to the eye, intelligence silver, wisdom is gold, back to the end, now is your time, stay firm, don't fold, to the A, all you need is the three bones, that's what Granny said, now I'm gonna make sure these words from Granny spread, for all of here, just give her your ear, she can take you to the promised land, I swear, world peace is what they fear, from Queens to Cleveland, Ohio, we here, famous. The Chocolate Girls Unite, baby. Yes, we do. Hello, Somebody is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots, being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard
1: 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. at and Connects, an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that 3-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.
3: You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new?